Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. I am the aforementioned Brett, and I am excited to welcome as my guest today, Tina Baycalis. Now, here's what we have to say about Tina. Protecting audiences from boring speakers and speeches, Tina Bakehouse has started her own company, Tina B. LLC, to provide speaking and storytelling, consulting, and coaching to help heart-centered leaders and organizations internationally and nationally communicate more effectively. With more than 20 years of teaching communication and theater, 10 years at Creighton University, a former Disney cast member and TEDx speaker and coach, Tina is passionate about educating others to become more self-aware and enhance their speaker style. After earning two BAs from the University of Northern Iowa, one in communication studies and psychology, and the second in theater and English teaching, she completed a master's degree in communication studies through the University of Nebraska Omaha and completed certificates in advanced professional writing, Kiersey's temperament theory, I have no idea what that is, <laughs> holistic coaching, and two levels of improvisation training. Her past positions have included Malvern Bank's chief creative officer, assisting with community development and coordinating financial literacy and educational opportunities for Mills County and Golden Hills RCND as outreach and communication coordinator, promoting the arts and local foods in Southwest Iowa. Tina has performed and coordinated multiple storytelling shows in Southwest Iowa, including two teen shows. She continues to use her creativity, leadership, and passion for the arts to help people communicate effectively and solve problems. Tina lives at Maple Edge Farm, a 150-year-old family farm in southwest Iowa with her husband, John, and son, Anderson, and her beloved goats. Welcome, Tina Bakehouse, to the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Well, thank you so much for having me, Brett. I'm excited to be here. All right. Most important question, how many goats do you have? <laughs> well, that's a great question because we're in the middle of kidding right now. So we have about seven new baby kid goats. And so add seven to about 17 adults. We're looking at 24 right now in our herd. So why do we have a goat herd? For the milk or? It's, it's primarily for soil health. And what we found is when you have diversity with animals and you rotate them around, they eat those noxious weeds and really limits the amount of herbicides and pesticides you can put on the land. So they're really nature's way of lawn mowing, if you will. You fence them in really well and they just clean out the weeds in a couple of days. 
All right. Well, enough about goats. Let's talk about speaking now. This is a spotlight sure. on a speaking show and not the spotlight on a goat show. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but you can learn a lot from a goat. They are so curious and smart. <laughs> All right. So you've been involved in this game for a while, but uh, I want to back up a little bit more to the beginning. So you've been worked with banks, chief creative officer, TEDx speaker. What was your Disney cast role? Very good question. Uh, I was an intern there back in the 90s for their 25th anniversary and coordinated parades and worked at Splash Mountain. And so I did that as a full-time cast member for about six months. And then I was what was called casual temporary for about five years after that. And I would show up and help coordinate with the other characters and get them prepped for the actual afternoon three o'clock parade and the night spectro magic parade and just would go through and make sure nobody pounce on cinderella or mickey mouse and protect them so to speak and answer lots of those guest questions as we go through the parade you know where's the closest restrooms help them read the maps all of that as well it was yeah. a lot of fun i learned so much about guest service and communication skills and business through disney i bet you did so did you ever do a costume yourself I did try out at the time. And what's interesting, I was a certain height that they did not need. So 5'8 is Mary Poppins height, which I really, really wanted, as well as, <laughs> uh, you know, Chip and Dale and Twiddledee and Twiddledum height and Pluto. But they didn't need that height. What they were looking for at the time was 5'2 and 5'3, which is a lot more popular. So I, I got to do a ton of puppeteering and movement exercises because it's very body oriented. But because the need wasn't there, I just stayed really satisfied with working with the actual characters in the parades. So how long has it been since you formed your Tina B LLC and, and in a more formal way began offering the storytelling, consulting and coaching to others? Right. So in 2014, I started a lot of the consulting and coaching work as an instructor at Creighton University in the communication studies department when I created a communication center there. And then after that work and the nonprofit and for-profit work, I really launched Tina B LLC in the fall of 2020, which I think a lot of people found their, when they're sitting with themselves and having that quiet time during the pandemic, you sort of soul search. And I recognized I was in act two of my life and act three is that last portion. So what am I doing? Am I reaching my purpose? And that's when I launched uh, January of 2021 after the website, all of that full-fledged, full-time international and national clients virtually and in-person work. So how do people find you, Tina? Yeah, they find me in a myriad of ways. Uh, first off, because of my work at Creighton University, a lot of referrals come through because I've worked with a lot of wide range companies from Union Pacific Railroad to First National Bank, FedEx. And so that's one piece is a really a lot of referrals. Also, I've posted on LinkedIn and Facebook and I've had clients come that way. And then in addition to that, I do have a newsletter. And when I get into networking situations or presentations, get people to sign up for my newsletter where I give communication tips, tools, and insights, and then have uh, my YouTube channel, which also provides rooftop chats and other communication insights. And then of course, tinabakehouse.com is a great way when you are searching for communication or storytelling consultant and coach, boop, up pops my website. So how all what, the information. So how does what you're doing, Tina, apply to the corporate world when you're going into a Union Pacific or whatever? What what are you teaching them? 
Yeah, I teach a myriad of different uh, best communication practices. So at Union Pacific Railroad, I had two courses I taught there that were eight hours each. One was business professional writing, and the other was powerful presentations and how to craft content and deliver in a meaningful way to various audiences, specifically with persuasive communication. There were a lot of operations managers that were curious of how do I do that in high risk situations in a very quick, efficient way. In addition to that, I've taught improvisation, having a yes and attitude and showing up with an improviser's means of how they show up on stage, being fully present, a really great listener, making your partner look good, all of those and that's been a lot of fun for both nonprofits as well as, as corporate uh, organizations. And then storytelling and understanding the beats of a story, particularly nonprofit, is seeing value in that of when you want a funder, they need to know, well, tell us your story. And that's a great persuasive tool that you can use. And then just tips for being more magnetic and showing up with the magnetic mind mindset, message and mechanics and giving strategies for that as well. Those are primarily and temperament. I, you had mentioned Kiersey temperament. Uh, I'm certified in that as well. It's like a Myers-Briggs tool okay. where your core value affects how you work, communicate and lead and use words and tools to achieve your goals, which I think is valuable to understand the self and understand the person next to you may not be just like you. So for the person coming up new to the speaking world, from your perspective, Tina, what makes for a powerful presentation? Well, I think the first piece is really being audience centered. It's all about them, you know, that that all communications persuasive, your audience has two choices. They can either tune you out or they can choose to listen to your message. And if you're not about them and they don't feel gotten or the message isn't engaging, then they're not going to choose to listen. And that's where this book I'm, I'm publishing this fall, Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within, is it's a process. And there's constantly tips and tools to be more effective. The first is really understanding the self and who are you as a speaker? What does that authentic self look like, sound like, feel like? And that how can you use strategies outside of yourself to tap into the different learning styles from kinesthetic to visual to audible. And when you do that, you really reach better learners when you craft a really clear, organized, structured message. And then the last piece is the mechanics. In addition to having a very nice structured message that has stories and maybe embedded humor, you also need to have vocal and physical delivery to show that presence and get that message out to your audience. So when you talk about being audience-centered, Tina, what are some specific tips or techniques that you might suggest others employ to make sure that that message that you want to deliver is truly on target for the audience? Well, the first thing I always recommend is, for example, I have a conversation tomorrow with an organization and I'm presenting a keynote, and I really get at who's my target audience? Who are they? What do they care about? What's relevant and timely in this moment? And finding that out really affects and influences and shapes the message for which I share. What I have noticed over the last couple of years, particularly when we were in the pandemic, the biggest communication I was putting out there was how to navigate uncertainty in times of change. And improvisation was such a great tool to use for organizations like the YMCA or Do It Space, which is an ed educational nonprofit, as well as many others. 
And so that's the first piece is really get at the heart of who's your audience, what do they, what do they know, what do they need to know, and what are their needs, and how can you meet those with your words. Then it's getting into reading as much as you can about the information and delighting in podcasts and books and articles and, and even conversations with others in the field to really grasp different perspectives. And from that, glean into the heart of your message. And audiences love threes. It's complete. So if you can think of three main points and have them be strong and clear, and then they'll resonate and clearly embed with them story, maybe even humor. And as I said earlier, tap into those different learning styles. So have visual aids, whether it's props or PowerPoint to support your message, as well as an audible style of using metaphor and analogies to really liven up the message. And then finally, the kinesthetic piece where you get your audience to move, maybe by a show of hands, you know, raise your hand or talk to your partner and discuss this concept. When you do that, they really engage with the message. So you're talking with them, not at or to them. So that would be what I recommend. So you mentioned you're getting ready to do a keynote presentation. And in my mind, there are three primary types of speakers, the keynote presenter, the person who's a platform selling speaker, and then the person who's maybe just a chiropractor or whatever, and they're just speaking to their local rotary or whatever, just as a business building tool. So they're not directly selling, but obviously they hope that they get clients out of it. Now, obviously you've done keynoting in the past. Do you consider yourself primarily a keynote speaker or do you also sell from the platform? Which of those genres do you prefer to play in? You know, I've never really thought about it before. I would say I'm definitely an educator primarily. And so I'd probably lean towards getting the concept and being that speaker that shares. I have not sold from the stage. I really, that I haven't done that. Uh, but people have had those conversations after I present and then work with me individually for coaching programs or other workshops for their teams. So for me, it's really all about sharing information and getting others to, like Maya Angelou says, know better, do better with, with the tools that they have. And hopefully from the stories and strategies I share within my keynotes or my talks, that they have a new fresh perspective that they can say, oh, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to go or have some form of way to you know, build from a skill and to be that better leader or more effective communicator. So storytelling obviously is your lane, Tina. So what makes for a great story? Well, I think the biggest thing you have to understand is asking yourself, what is what do you want the story to do for you? And that is a core question that affects and influences how you share story and what story you pick, because all of us are storytellers. And I think a lot of times we might even put that, that word up high on a pedestal. But as strategist John Capecci says, we're all natural orators of our own lives. So all of us have something to learn. And I love what my storytelling mentor, Jude Trader-Wolf said, and that is you don't have to have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro for your story to be meaningful. It could be as something as simple as getting lost in a parking lot where you can experience the kindness of a stranger or learn more about yourself. So it's really asking yourself, what do you want the story to do for you? What's the objective? And what's that lesson learned? Because ultimately there is a difference between an anecdote and a story. Anecdotes are just examples. You know, this happened. Well, great. It's sort of like when you get home from kindergarten, I was that kid. What'd you do at school today? Well, I did this and then, and then I did this and then I did this. Okay, it's a list of experiences. But 
that is anecdotal. That is not story. Now, if I went into depth about my first my first, you know, fight on the playground and what I learned from that experience, then that becomes a story. So it's understanding that difference of sharing the lesson learned and it's bringing vulnerability into it. I love Brene Brown, who's a storyteller researcher, that what makes her such a powerful presenter and speaker is her ability to just put it out there. You feel like you are in a living room with her having a conversation. So it's not being, it's it's that blend of vulnerability with a little element of performance, but also naturalness, that it's your story, nobody else's, and put it out there into the world and put your spin, your voice, your experience on it. Uh, so I have a couple other questions I want to ask you, Tina, but before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world, and now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world? If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spotlight on Speaking Show, and my guest is Tina Bakehouse. And, you know, one of my more favorite questions to ask my guest always is, all right, bear your soul a little bit here and maybe tell me a mistake that you made along the way in your speaking career that maybe was embarrassing at the time, but there was a valuable lesson learned and something that you would highly advise the aspiring speaker not to do. That's that's a great question. I think everybody has that. For me, it was in 2017 when I was facilitating a storytelling show with a professional storyteller out of New York, and I was asked to be one of the headlining storytellers. Well, I had this heavy pressure of it had to be just a booming success. And so I coordinated the and promoted it, the event. And there were about 90 plus you know, women in the audience. It was a ladies night at this local cafe. So I had my favorite fifth grade teacher in the audience, my mom, my forage leader, all these people <laughs> that I really cared about. And it made me extraordinarily nervous. So I broke my own rule and I memorized my story. And for me, that the theater person, you know, the theater came out, it was a performance. It was not authentic in my authentic self. It was a lot, it was fine. But what was really interesting is in that same week, uh, because I got applause, I got decent reactions that same week, about four days later, all my workshops were done. All the pressure was gone. And I got to perform that same story in front of a teen audience. And I just showed up. I showed up and I knew my last line, my first line, my last line. And I just shared the story and it got more laughs. It felt so good. It felt really good. And so the difference I would say between nights one and afternoon, this that afternoon later that week is that I was truly showing up, being myself and sharing story instead of giving and, and repeating a memorized piece. Well, you raise an interesting point, Tina. So, you know, I hear my guests often talk about being your authentic self or whatever. What does that really mean to you? I mean, how do you, anytime in essence, you're giving a speech, you're kind of performing. So how do you, how do you be your authentic self? Well, it's interesting. You bring that up. I have a whole chapter on that where it's the authentic versus the conditioned self. And for me, 
Authenticity is a word we've been throwing around a lot, particularly during the pandemic when people are showing up with different backgrounds, whether it's the real background or not. And are you really representing yourself on social media? All of that. I would define authenticity as being real, being true, being original. And it's like uh, Abraham Maslow says, the process of being self-actualized or of, the, of understanding and discovering the self, it's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. So there's things that you know about yourself that nobody else knows. There's things people notice about you that you don't know. And then there's stuff that we um, together understand and see and witness and experience from each other. And so for my part, when I feel complete faith, really positive energy, not worried about the judgment of others, and I know that I'm a quirky creative, that's when I know I'm showing up. And there is this paradox, though, of, of what it means to be authentic. And I've seen this happen many times. I don't know if you've, you've been in that experience where maybe it's that individual who's extraordinarily academic, loves data, and is truly being authentic, but is not engaging the audience whatsoever. They're checking their cell phones. They're whispering to each other. They're doodling anything but paying attention, but that individual is truly being authentic because they care about complex uh, concepts, they love data, and they're showing all the charts uh, to you know on their screen. That's where you have to get into an awareness and even understanding certain professors, it, and I remember this too, I'm a teacher and a researcher, but teacher first. There's no such thing. I feel like theory is only a theory uh, if you can't apply it, you need to apply it. And so there were professors that I knew of that just would throw out information and they really needed to engage their audience. So authenticity is being really self-aware. It's knowing what your quirks are, what is true to you. If you're the type that wears a bow tie, wear the bow tie. You know, if you have a little costume quirk or piece and that makes you feel at best, like I love wearing bright colors, Purple's my favorite color. I, you know, I wear the part. I might wear high, high tops when I present, like I did at a library on Friday for kiddos and adults, a storytelling workshop. So I dress the part that feels most like me and embody that, not only with my style on the outside, but with my language choices and words. And so that, that to me is authenticity, is showing up real and original, but also being mindful that you have to engage your audience as well when you're communicating. Uh, so related question, Tina, you mentioned engaging your audience a few times. So what is the best way, in your opinion, to truly build rapport with an audience? I, I believe building a rapport with your audience is really taking the presentation into a conversation state. You know, there's a difference between talking to or at, but with and being in dance of conversation with them. And so for my part, it's engagement becomes, I think of the most recent workshop. When I ask a question out to the audience, I really want to know their response. And granted, if it's a small, like 15-ish group for a workshop, that can happen. Now, if it's a keynote with 500 people, I'll do a rhetorical question or, or have them raise their hands, but have some form of getting that audience feedback early on in the presentation, because it's sort of a check of where are we, where, what, what are their thoughts, feelings? It's sort of that thermometer first and getting into that. I also, uh, I know that being engaging also requires me sharing just a little bit about myself. To have them, to be liked, you need to share a little bit about yourself and vulnerability through story, 
through maybe light self-deprecating humor that we can up, we can definitely connect with. You know, you want to put yourself down, but you know, having that healthy, happy balance. And then I also think too, it's it's really tapping into what is you know, it's that inventory of what's important to the audience in this moment, what's relevant now. You know, if you can bring in pop culture or if you're tuned into what are we caring about in this moment, that can certainly add to a more in-depth connection with your audience. Now, how do you measure the success of a speech? Well, feedback is huge. Nonverbal cues are great. I mean, there's a difference between a golf clap applause and a rousing standing ovation, you know, and everything in between. So that's one mode of feedback. I also tune into from the beginning, middle and end, what kind of eye contact am I getting? Am I getting them leaning forward and really with me hanging on every word or are they distracted? You know, that's throughout the talk. The other piece that's super helpful is following the talk. How many people line up to talk to me afterwards and ask follow-up questions? Or when I say, what questions do you have for me? Are they dead silent or do they actually ask questions? That's in the moment. What's also super revealing is the survey following the talk. And that gives, if it's anonymous, they can really put it out there. What's what was strong about it? Where could you have grown? What was what were some learning gaps, et cetera? So I think getting it into various forms of channels of communication from watching your audience, the nonverbal cues that you get, listening and engaging in conversation, you know, at the end of your speech but also the written form of of reflection as to how they experienced you gives helpful feedback. So as we wind down to the end of our time together, Tina, I'd like to give you a a few minutes to tell a little bit more to people about what it is that you do and how they can get involved in your world if they so choose. Well, thanks, Brett. I love to support heart-centered leaders and advocates for change who are desiring to craft a message and just don't know how or that they're looking to empower their teams. And I do that through either a three or six month signature program called the Magnetic Speaker Blueprint. So that can be individual or corporate teams. I also facilitate online and in-person workshops ranging from storytelling to best communication practices, temperament, and improvisation, all of which are really great tools to help you show up authentic and true and as a powerful internal organization, and then also with your customers and clients. And to work with me, I I love having conversations. I love hearing more about clients' stories and how I can support them. Because again, I customize everything, whether it's a workshop or an individualized program to meet the learning objectives of that individual. So whether you're a small business owner that's just frozen and terrified about doing Facebook Lives and LinkedIn Lives and wants to get help with creating strong messaging and performing that in a a powerful magnetic way, where you want to get a TED or keynote out there, or you simply have an abstract idea and you're a CEO of a company and you're like, I don't know how to convey that in a concrete way to get buy-in from my team. Those are all communication strategies that I really love helping and supporting organizations with is, you know, you're here and get you there. So you can find me on tinabakehouse.com is my website. That's Tina, T-I-N-A, Bakehouse, B as in boy, A-K-E, H-O-U-S-E.com. Sign up for my newsletter. You'll get insights on communication and storytelling, as well as updates on my book, which is due out this fall. It's entitled Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within. 
And I also have a YouTube channel and I can give Brett those links afterwards so that you can check me out as well, which is Tina B Magnetic Speaking with Tina B. All right, well, we'll make sure all those appear in the show notes down below. Now, when we were talking, Tina, before the show, you mentioned you maybe have some tips or something that they could get a hold of. And what, what is that and how do, they, how do they do that? Yeah, thanks for that reminder, Brett. I'd be happy to share with you a PDF that has 10 tips to be more magnetic. So you can reach out to me, email me for that. It's a free PDF. It gives you 10 tips to show up magnetically on any stage, not just a big stage in front of tons of people, but also in the boardroom or networking virtually, whatever. And my email is tinab at tinabakehouse.com. That's tinab at tinabakehouse.com. All right. So I, I've got to admit, Tina, when you talked about your website, what came to mind because of your former Disney cast experience is I'm, I'm sitting there singing in my head. T-I-N-A-B-A-K-E-H-O-U-S-E. I love it. I love it. That's great. Mickey Mouse, Tina Bay Cows. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of the Spot Island Speaking Show. My sincere thanks to Tina Bakehouse, my guest for this episode. And as always, if you haven't been to brettridgeway.com, check it out. Pick up my free special report there. And go to spotlightonspeaking.com to register to be notified of upcoming episodes. Bettina, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. And as always, I wish all of you out there the greatest of success in all that you do. And may this year be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at SpotlightOnSpeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.